0: Today. Okay. Or are, you just, in are we rolling? There's psilocybin in the water. Okay. I've seen Nine Perfect Strangers. The, oh, however long we want right, to.
1: Great. You know, maybe four hours, five hours. <laughs> <laughs> six cool. six, six no, max. Of that, yeah. Setting a timer. Six max, four minimum. It's time for the panel where two of Australia's most captivating minds gently hand pluck a bespoke selection of the week's most scintillating stories and like a pair of exotic birds... Gently regurgitate those stories into your and my grateful ear holes. Our chatterers today, Ange Lavoie-Pierre and Shane Jenick, otherwise known sometimes as Courtney Act. Ange, uh, who are you for the listener who doesn't know you?
2: Uh, I'm the ABC's national tech reporter as of this week.
1: Is that a promotion?
2: I, I like to think so.
1: What were you before <laughs> you were national tech reporter?
2: I suppose before that I was an investigative reporter at Background Briefing. and I hosted- Would you say you
1: were a gadfly?
2: What's a gadfly? Not sure. Sounds Sounds like mm, like
1: a sort of a woman about town at the ABC. A
2: tramp.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Your words, not mine. Uh, Shane, uh, you're a proud tramp. What else? I am a proud
0: tramp. I've even been called a tramp. No, sorry, that was a tart. That's different. Okay. I mean, they're similar. They're adjacent. They're close mm-hmm. enough. By Anne Whittickham, conservative politician. For the
1: three people in the universe who don't know who you are, yes. Who are you?
0: Uh, I am uh, fundamentally a crossdresser. No, I am a performer, entertainer, singer. I love that uh, you thought that was a joke, but this is literally a statement it's, of fact. L- yeah, it is a statement of fact. I am a crossdresser. Yeah. Um, well, it depends on which it's capacity. It's been a
2: while since I've heard that term. I <laughs> suppose. I, <like laughs> I was tickled.
0: It's old <laughs> school, I isn't it? It's well, good. I said this to a friend. Like when I'm performing on stage You would describe me dressed as Courtney I am a signed male at birth And live that way in my life But I do uh, dabble with the gender spectrum Performing in drag Um, But you're not trans I'm not trans Uh, I do uh, I do I do like Look, it's a complex conversation, but and if people want to hear it, we have can, had that conversation. We can listen on this to uncomfortable Conversations. I, yeah, I do perform as Courtney and um, uh, uh, crossdresser. That's where I was going. Mm. Um, I was having a friend with a, a conversation with a friend who. Oh, no, this is too much. It's it's too early in the conversation to, to get to that. But, you
1: can't say that now. No, oh, no now I everyone's can't. going.
0: What's it too early to say? In the bedroom, I guess I could technically be described as a crossdresser sometimes, and on stage, I would be a drag performer. Hey, is that <laughs> hey. the difference? I mean, there is a there is. That's not the only distinction. Hmm. Crossdressers are people who probably live as their assigned uh, sex, and then they wear clothes of a different gender, either um, in public just for social reasons, or for sexual reasons, or for whatever reasons. Right, mm. but
1: that isn't that you, or not? Yeah, yeah. kinda. Christ. That's why I said it was we've me. <laughs> okay. We've Who's just on been first? We've a big round circle <laughs> around the universe and now we've arrived back happily at home like all good stories do. And you're being a bit bashful Shane because if people don't know you if they're listening in America you are a huge deal in Australia, uh you're a huge deal in the UK. Um you've been on a bazillion different things RuPaul and Big Brother mm. And a whole bunch of RuPaul's be, Drag Race be In be the United States You'll be hosting The Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras I will On the Sydney. ABC I've been um,
0: upgraded From Street Fodder To co-anchor With the wonderful Monshafter
1: So Street Fodder Previously on uh, At the Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Which is ostensibly The world's biggest Gay and Lesbian festival You would be the person Who they would throw to mm-hmm. Who
2: would be I'm down here with all yeah. the Oh it's fabulous Here on the street That
1: kind of thing Very bad. you're going to be up On the podium Yeah do Not have to
2: pretend To be enjoying the crowd. <laughs> No, no. Oh, now I have to pretend hello, to enjoy the parade. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I now have to learn to describe what I see. That's the that's the advice somebody gave me many mm. years ago, and I didn't get what that meant at the time. I was like, "There's people walking up the street," and then I heard Joanna Lumley on her. Spice Road adventure thing, and she was in Ireland, and she was like, "There's gorgeous green vermilion rolling hills." As I come around the corner, I'm absolutely gobsmacked by the luminescence. And she's just describing a
1: grass hill. Yes. And so if I tune into the Mardi Gras, I want to be talking about the vermilion grass fields. <laughs> I like, will, no, I will have a British accent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's lovely for you both to be here. In fact, why don't we kick things off with the story uh, of the week, being the Mardi Gras itself? This is the kickoff of the biggest gay and lesbian festival. Uh, uh, Why do we need the to world? use a sports metaphor? The kickoff? Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> what's the what's the alternative metaphor? You're hetero-coded. This is, um, <laughs> well, how, how stereotypical is that, saying that sports is for heteros? Well, the women, uh, the queer women, very good at sports. I know some flamers who are into sports. Some. Some. This is true. Per capita. All right. We're beginning. We're, we're starting to do the two step shuffle or the ragtime or whatever it is you want it to be uh, towards uh, the Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, which inevitably raises the question is it just a party? Because it, it, it started as uh, an activist event, right? I mean, it started with Stonewall and the initial protests against unjust laws. Is it still an activist event? I think the, event?
2: the best way you could this is the neatest way I've heard it described in recent times. It sort of resonated with me was that it, it's outreach now. It's like queer outreach to, to, to the straights, right? It feels like, um, you know, oh, here's, here's, you know, a little bit about us. Um, it's almost like PR or something because you go to the parade, right, and it's mostly like it's people who've like it's a lot of tourists and a lot of straight people too. I mean not in the parade but on the streets.
0: Yeah, mostly, okay. mostly. Yeah. mostly, yes. I mean, I think Mardi Gras is a is a party with purpose. Yes, I think the actual parade uh, is a platform for lots of different people. Be it sports, be it. Cultural events. You're just trying to backtrack on your sports. <laughs> <by the time. laughs> well, yes. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a platform for all different sorts of groups. So there's, you know, there's the First Nation groups, there's Equality Australia, there's all sorts of advocacy groups and identity groups that are there to platform uh, perhaps where they don't have opportunities to be represented. And it's a time of year when the Australian media largely does focus on queer issues. Unfortunately, it's, it does feel like sometimes it's relegated to that um, week or two weeks, but I think it's a wonderful sort of flag post. I mean, like Chinese New Year, right? We have a, there's a parade and there's celebration to celebrate culture and, uh, and, and that sort of stuff there. And I guess Mardi Gras can be looked at as a similar sort of thing. But I think there's still a big advocacy and activist um, component to it.
1: I mean, part of the criticism of Mardi Gras in the past has been that it's been limited in its vision of what gayness is. Right, that it's been Mm -hmm. mostly your criticism, there. Mostly my criticism. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm mostly the champion of this. this. Some people say, (laughs) some people say, some people say, a lot of people are calling me on the radio and telling me they're hearing this. Uh, (laughs) But the the, the image of gayness is somewhat like you, Shane Mm -hmm. pretty, hairless, gorgeous, flamboyant, (laughs) loves to dance, you know, has a certain way of presenting oneself that could be exclusionary towards people who don't feel like they fit that but that's, stereotype that's necessarily.
0: I, you, we've had this chat before. Yes. And I think it's really fascinating that you say that because if you actually watch the Mardi Gras parade, if that is your interpretation of the Mardi Gras parade, that could be your own confirmation bias because the Mardi Gras parade is one of the most diverse inclusions mm. of people. I remember in 1994 secretly watching it on TV and seeing like – all of these intersections of the community that were not represented in the mainstream, like people with disabilities, mm. sex workers, um, First Nations people, and there's 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 like floats that are dedicated to
1: like daddy, like big fat hairy it's men they celebrating are there, their bodies. But you have to be watching closely. They're not in the ads. They are. They now. are. They are now. Have like you t- Three seconds ago. Yes. No. Last year and this year. Last year, they're year in was the so
0: ads. diverse and inclusive.
2: I think because of the fact that it is now one of the biggest tourism events in New South Wales what outside of new years it would have to be and
0: something to do with sport maybe something sports <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it would be the state if of origin was or the grand it. final um
2: but you know because of that there's then all this sort of corporate um messaging around it and every business you know bloody uber has like a rainbow trail you know it's like okay uh and so i think because you then get all that imaging you get this very sort of glossy um sanitized version of like what i don't know what commonwealth bank thinks gay is yeah you know what i mean and i think that's kind of what leads to that um the narrowing of the image the kind of obscuring of the real diversity in the community potentially I yeah.
0: I feel like I I would actually I don't want to start off on the no, wrong foot. No no word. let's go. I feel like I would disagree with that because historically, like if we go to the '90s, the gay image was like hot, muscly gay man, maybe like leather man, mm. and uh, representation of women often would struggle to 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 breach out. And I think now because uh, kind of as a positive corporate box-ticking kind of thing, you'd see a lot of um, diverse stories because everyone's trying to, quote, do the right thing. And so I find that you often see these stories uncovered or, like, different community groups given voices and money where they wouldn't before. I feel like the idea of just, like, a a hot, white, muscle gay man is almost, like, taboo now. Uh, I I agree.
1: In mm. fact, in in a strange way, being a white... Gay male it's has sort of been you, relegated it, <laughs> to being an, an, a, another form of elite. Really, I yeah. mean, it's you know, it doesn't. You don't really get to tick the victimisation card as a, as a, a, a gay male anymore. Um, that being said, I'll just add one thing, which is there is this whole question about diversity of sexualities, diversity of ethnicities, diversity of religion, diversity of abilities, and all of that. But there's a deeper question about the relevance of something like mardi gras which i think will only become obvious in 50 years time perhaps once we've well and truly done away with homophobia which is is it actually conducive to the flourishing of human sexuality to turn the volume up on your identity well or is it conducive to to actually turn the volume down so that the if you believe in the vast complicated fluidity of human sexual experience and that almost everyone is capable of Blurring the boundaries in some capacity of their fixed identity box, then is it really necessary to carve out a portion of the if community? everyone's which gay, isn't? If Nobody's a little bit gay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Then, yeah. doth she protest too much?
2: Uh, it's part of the Are lot. You a little bit gay, it's Ange? Of, yeah, uh, qu- yeah, quite gay, yeah. Right. <laughs> Th- thank you for asking. Okay, um, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, b- a bunch of words I could throw out to sort of, you know, put a put a <laughs> Could a, we get beyond on the binary a f- a with finer, our identification. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, a bi-pan, uh, g- gendered, non-conforming uh, person, if you must know. But uh, <laughs> I was just going to say a bit a bit gay. <laughs> um, yeah, so you've totally made me f- Oh, no, I remember my point now. Um, it's part of a much larger conversation, right, which is whether or not it's ultimately uh, like a you know as as we kind of ended up in a, a world where we were all being our own mini autobiographers on social media every day and it became um almost advantageous to align yourself with various identities what what the broader effect of that is and whether is that kind of what you're driving at when yeah, you ask yeah a little ask, bit yeah a little yeah. bit like
1: yeah uh, um is the is the Martin Luther king jr like you know the vision of the future is where people are essentially not paying attention to the differences in their identities the aspiration anymore yeah. or yeah. do we want to i think all be fabulous somef- little tribes
2: there's something about there's something it's great to sell like it, there's something great about celebrating it right and it's not you don't just celebrate that part of yourself as a rebuttal to being discriminated against or being criticised or it's not just a response to bigotry, right, to celebrate. Like, yes, it has that function and that's why Pride came about, but it's not – it doesn't stop there. Like, it's, you know, it's, it's queer joy the rest of the time, you know. Right.
1: Shane?
0: Well, I think you hit the nail on your head in some hypothetical future in 50 years. Yes. And I think the important thing is that right now, Pride is really relevant because there's so many people in Australia and around the world that are still struggling with their queer identities legally or socially. Um, we still have conversion therapy practices that are legal. There's currently a bill for that that we're waiting on to, to come out to, uh, to stop young people who are in the church Uh, Who are queer, whose sexuality uh, is diverse, or whose gender is diverse, to stop them from being. You know, brainwashed or groomed, if you will, into not being who they actually are. And I think that's a really important one because that is a a hugely scarring thing for a lot of young people in those places of faith. Um, And it's a challenge for young queer people in places of faith because there is often a real um, wall that faith uh, doesn't align with uh, sexuality and gender that's diverse. And Mm. it's not to say that those two things can't go together, um, but. In a lot of places, they don't. Mm. um, so that's not a very an easy fit. not, not an, an easy fit.
1: fit. Uh, speaking of uh, of work, uh, what a segue. The Australian <laughs> government has passed a law allowing workers to ignore their bosses' phone calls and texts and emails out of office hours. This is the, like, you don't have to take ho- your work home with you law. Um, not everyone's happy. The centre-right opposition party is uh, thinks it's a terrible idea. Some business, most of the business chambers and the business councils say that it's bad. The, uh, the CEO of Airtasker, which is, uh, you know, a gig app, Uh, says it seems crazy to say at 5.01 p.m. don't ever contact me on Slack, but you can SMS me but three times a week and only for these kinds of issues. It's just going to get more and more complex than a common sense kind of discussion. Um, Do we care about taking work home
2: with us? I think, uh, like, I, I take far too much work home with me and I could do with not doing that. It is my choice to do that. I just think, I, just, I, I mean, first of all, I maybe naively assumed that you didn't have to answer your boss's text outside like outside of work hours anyway. There was no real, like, you could just say, no, I'm not working or whatever, mm. and that would be fine. Like, it seemed to me a little bit. I mean, culturally bit, it and- may
1: be fine, but I think the point is that there hasn't been any downside to the boss except for the fact that you don't respond, whereas now there's going to be a sanction. if you If your boss punishes you in some way for not responding. Yeah, well then you'll be able to go to the fair that works checks commission. checks out to me and I don't really understand why
2: everyone like jumps up and down about this because they're saying, well, you know, people should want to, you know, people should want to get ahead and do it. It's like, "Well, they can." They can still do that. There's nothing stopping you if you want to if you want to work out of hours and be the, you know, be the person that responds, then that option is still available to you. Like your personal liberty kind of still exists there. All that is being sort of formalised is I think what was already there, which is a sort of pub test level expectation that your boss wouldn't um, wouldn't penalise you for not working for mm. free in your own time. I think it, it feels it's sort of blown my mind a little bit that everyone's melted down about this.
1: It is amazing that we've just sort of stumbled into this situation through technology without ever really consenting. To it like i mean
2: oh yeah well that yeah our, that, it, that's worth talking about yeah you know 30
1: years ago you couldn't <laughs> You work couldn't at email. home i mean you know <laughs> you couldn't email and you couldn't work at home like you weren't always connected you weren't checking even if you had email then even just 20 years ago well maybe 25 years ago you weren't checking it on your phone so mm. you would have had to boot up a computer that would have taken seven minutes. Get the minutes bike out to boot to, up the computer. <laughs> to, yeah. to boot up. And th- why would you have logged on to You probably couldn't access your work email from home because you would have had to be on like some kind of a server that only exists in the office. So when you left the you're office, you AltaVista. literally yeah. Yeah. you literally left your work and there was nothing to do. There was no wh- Unless it was a super emergency, you- your boss would have to call you on your home landline and hope that you're not out. Hope your answering machine doesn't hope the get answering it. Machine <laughs> you screen it. your calls. You ask the boss not, not <laughs> exactly. answering that. yeah. And so now we're in a situation where we're just sort of expected to, yeah, oh, hey, can you just check something I just emailed you? Simply because we can.
2: Yeah. I think it's entirely appropriate that 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 we sort of try and wind that back. I think that's healthy as hell. Like we we wonder why everyone's miserable. Like it's because it's this kind of – I don't know, this is, I shouldn't, I'm a national tech reporter. I'm like, like, here's the thing about tech. No, and it it is, of course, more complicated than that. But I took the step uh, before I actually knew that this kind of legislation was in the pipeline. But over summer I went, no, you know, I'm switching it up this year. I'm getting my work email off my phone, all work software off my phone. Is that right? Yep, I did it. Yeah, that doesn't mean I'm not, I mean, I have to, I will still work over time because that's just the nature of my job sometimes you do that and you know you make back the hours elsewhere whatever but um i'll it, there's an extra step i have to go and get the computer mm. and set up i can't just yeah. like be on the train checking emails i mean that's or great that
1: is the benefit of having a job job yeah which is something that shane have you ever had a job job i've never really had a i've never job had a nine job, to so five to job
0: so yeah but i feel like well there's bound we're describing boundaries, right? Yep. And I think that for most people they're probably content in their work well, I don't know if they're content in their work life balance, but it's more about employers who take the piss mm. and who are who are like constantly trying to get more than what they're actually paying for. Like probably in all of our jobs we know what we're being paid and we know what's going to be expected of us to a certain degree. If you're like a nine to five job that you're going and then you, you, you can leave your job at 5pm and not think about it until 9am the next day, but you've got a boss who is taking the piss and trying to like email and communicate with you afterwards. I guess now you have a, a, yeah.
2: It seems like a perfectly good redress to something that, as you say, Josh, has changed over time. Mm. Like our rights have been eroded over time. Yeah, I mean, time, I kind of so- like
1: it just because it's a cultural reset, isn't, isn't yeah. it? I mean, you don't want this kind of law to be acted on much. No. You, you don't want to see this in the courts very much. But the no. fact that it exists a as a, yeah, as a, as a theoretical deterrent, even though I don't normally like over-regulation of the economy. I think you do have to do something to push back against the relentless invasion of our personal lives. by even. Absolutely. And I say this as somebody who works 24 hours a day and also doesn't work 24 hours a day mm. because when you're self-employed, yeah. uh, with the exception of when I had a daily radio show, but even then I was more interested in the things that I was doing on the side, like mm. this podcast, than mm. I was in my job job. Mm. So it, it's, it's obvious to me that it is both advantageous and also corrosive for me to be working... For me to be like figuring out what topics we're going to be talking about today at 10 p.m. in bed hmm. on my phone, because but there's the that's
2: the price I pay. There's the French system, right? Which is like you have to not work. Like there, are, there are law, laws in the other direction, which you know go a lot further than what we've talked about. Which is it like. You, you you have to go out for lunch. You can't have lunch at your desk. Mm. Things like that, you know. That and I'm I, like, great. I kinda I like that. <laughs> and you have to <laughs>
1: drink wine nice. at yeah, you, lunch. You, you have to have at least a bottle of wine per person. At least.
0: At lunch. And you have to smoke while you do it. <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: And that's and what a what a country. Mm. But look yeah, I think I would probably struggle with that because I'm a little bit like you, Josh, in that I, I'm, you know, when I want to do something, I want to do it. But and I I'm love being
1: forced. I would love being forced. I mean, to when not, I was to not, yeah. yeah, to to take the time off. When I moved to New York, I was living with a um, in a share flat with a guy who worked in finance who had not taken a single day's holiday in the past four or five years, and he was like, I mean, it's just the culture. Like you would, it would be regarded as being frivolous and self indulgent to take time off to go on a holiday, mm-hmm. and I said to him, if you were in Australia and you never took a holiday, like even just for one year, mm. I mean, your boss would call you into, the, into his office or her office and slam the door and be like, what's going on, mate? Like, what's up? Leave. Get mm. out of here. Mm. You'd you also know, have lot of those a
0: things that people with jobs get where you have like leave accruing. <laughs> Yeah. And then you would, you, you they would use force it. you to use it. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you'd have too much and then they you'd get become too powerful. Because
2: you're, well. It's because, little, because you become I, too powerful. I don't know. Powerful. That's what it is. I love I, it. I was you so with a, you until yeah. right at the end of the session. Like, oh, yeah, Marvel. because then if you get the most leave, <laughs> everyone knows, then you get to become Prime Minister. <laughs>
1: yeah. Shane's world is basically a Marvel Avengers Pokemon world in which you accrue, accrue <laughs> all leave all in, in order me. to win. Yeah.
2: No, it's because the
1: the company doesn't want to have a liability on its books. Yes. yeah and the leave becomes a a liability but if we Um, we
0: also view it from our cultural standpoint now right if we were living in france that would just be the norm and everybody would be doing it so it wouldn't seem so absurd to us that we were forced to take lunch but if you were if you were individually Mm -hmm. forced to take an hour of lunch and nobody else at work was then that would seem odd but if everybody had to, then you just had to and it would be nice. And
2: here's the craziest thing of all. I think if they did the you have to take lunch, you have to have a bottle of wine, and by the <laughs> way, now you smoke, it would be like <laughs> six weeks before we were all used to it. And we'd be like what yeah. was the other – what did we use yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Was it, like we adjust to things so, so quickly. Yeah. yeah. You know? but And
1: I don't. I'm still torn about technology and like its ability to – I remember w- when I was working for Ariana Huffington, she would go and she'd like be emailing me from a Greek yacht in the Mediterranean. And <laughs> someone said to uh, like, what are you doing on your phone on a Greek lot yacht? Put it away, enjoy the Greek yacht. Mm. And she was like, I couldn't be on the Greek yacht if I didn't have the phone.
2: And- <laughs> <laughs> she was Israeli
1: apparently. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like that's, that. it is both the, it's the liberator mm. and also the oppressor. Mm. Mm. Remember when we got like
0: blackberries and you could text with both hands like that was like and it was also new and exciting so it was the most productive I've ever been in my life like I was just excited to have the ability and now I like the emails I mean my job might not be as time-sensitive as other people's. Like the email or parlour, I'll get to it when I get to it. I'm not yeah. going to be a slave to my phone. No. But I think if you have time-sensitive jobs, you probably
1: Then maybe you have to be. Uh, and you said, like, you're you're surprised by all the kind of reflexive backlash about this from right-wingers, about mm. the, the law that uh, enshrines people's right to be free from work when they're at home. Crikey, which is an Australian newspaper, did a funny thing, which is they went to um, – to AI to ChatGPT and they said, you are the Herald Sun columnist, Andrew Bolt, (laughs) who is a conservative (laughs) columnist in Australia. Write a 150 word opinion piece in the style of Andrew Bolt against workers' rights to disconnect from their employer after hours. You wanna hear what what ChatGPT came up with? In our modern world, the concept of work-life balance has become a rallying cry for those who seek to undermine the very essence of productivity. The latest fad, workers' rights to disconnect from their employers after hours. It's as if they believe that once the clock strikes five, they can simply unplug from their responsibilities and float away on a cloud of leisure. Let me set the record straight. This is nothing more than a dangerous delusion.
2: Isn't that good? <laughs> That's very good. You you really embodied it as well, I think.
1: I didn't put on an Andrew Bolt impersonation because that would be offensive. No,
2: but the pomposity went up <laughs> by, like, I'm saying 23%, you know. Like. Uh,
1: fabulous. Uh, next story that I want to get your thoughts on is that the Australian government wants to ban doxing after anti-Zionist activists published the names and details of almost 600 Jewish writers and artists and academics who were members of a WhatsApp support group for Australian Jewish creatives. This doxing led to threats against a five-year-old Jewish child and forced at least one Jewish family into hiding, apparently. Then the Australian newspaper, which is Rupert Murdoch's broadsheet, published photos of the doxers on its front page under the headline, ''These are the faces of a hideous hatred.'' Shane, in this cycle of uh, tit for tat, mm. who is right and who is wrong?
0: I don't think in the broader subject of doxing, it's it's that thing where one side forgets that all of these tactics are available to both sides. Mm. And so I get that... Uh, Obviously, there's certain information that is in the public interest, you know, in a in a whistleblower context that has been historically important in changing things for the better. I think when it comes to publishing um, private citizens, private information on the Internet, especially in an environment where there's so much uh, so much at stake for both sides, so much polarization, I guess it
1: feels like only harm will come to these people doesn't seem like a good strategy for the protecting the future of civilization it doesn't to be hunting each other not to talk about civility
0: but like there is there are sort of like certain things we've just agreed upon as a society that i feel um does allow us to have a certain optimum level and i feel like um when we start publishing personal details especially because it has gone tit for tat right it's like, okay, well, you did that and now we do that and we do that and you do that and it just feels like a race to the bottom rather than thinking about the cause.
1: To legislate it, though, um, Ange, how do you feel about that? Because then, I mean, the critics of of anti-doxing legislation uh, are saying, well, what about whistleblowers? What about journalists? Like the government says that they're going to carve out journalism, but they can't answer questions about whether or not, you know, the Australian putting the doxes on the front page is would be protected. Yeah. Uh, like
2: in- inevitably I think these things will play out in court, right? Like there there will be uh, in the same way that there is already, you know, there are protections for certain kinds of breaches for the law done in the public interest. Um, you know, for example, see, you know, in certain states of Australia, um not New South Wales though, it's it's a, it is legal to secretly record someone. Only in the public interest, and it's quite a high, like a high test. So that'll that'll be how that plays out. But I think the bigger problem with um, banning mm. doxing is that it kind of uh, doesn't account for the like. Sh- sure, sounds great, um, but it doesn't account for the fact that a lot of the time, people who um, not always, but a lot of the time, people who dox other people are doing so from a position of anonymity. They're doing so with Quite a bit of uh, like a high degree of, you know, they're quite technologically savvy. They maybe I don't know. Like, how do you? How, it's very difficult to stop someone doing it if it's done from a um, that that place, mm. um, and then very difficult to enforce. And it's obviously a globalized world. We're talking about what what happens online here, and so there's jurisdictional issues. I just don't think it'll do. It feels a bit symbolic to me. It doesn't mm. feel like I, it, you know, it doesn't feel like it'll affect the worst instances of doxing won't do anything to prevent those, but it it may have an impact on certain kinds of journalism. Like
1: what is doxing? Like what are are we so what is is the the what is the principle here? Like the principle is that you're not allowed to publish the name and private details of who. Of a, of a private citizen? I've, I mean, at what point do you cease being a private citizen if you're doing conducting a letter-writing yeah. campaign to try to get somebody fired, for example?
2: Yeah. Well, like, it's very hazy. I don't gonna, quite get it. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing about doxing is we use it as a catch-all term um, to cover everything from, like, here is Josh's home address and personal phone number to... Oh, I'm going to name Josh and, yeah. and put his, which I his, was photo in this league as
1: well. Because the, mm. the, that WhatsApp, I was a member of that WhatsApp mm. group of Jewish creatives. Right. Because after October seventh, someone while I was at the social event was like, "Oh, are you in the the creatives thing? We're just providing support yeah, to get, each other. You
2: get added. You know, it's yeah. a, there
1: are some jokes, there are some laughs. There, you know, it's just a while we're under while we're being besieged. Mm. It's a play. It's a safe space. And so they added me, and I joined and um the i only ever made two comments which were precisely this point against um people people canceling other people it was when and the, when it started to get a little bit cancelly and so they started talking about they they were, they would post things that you know uh, anti zionist uh, influencers had been posting and they'd say you know does anyone know who so and so's publisher is we you know we should need to coordinate a letter writing campaign to let them know that this is out of bounds and i simply wrote in there and said the point, Shane, that you were basically making, which is no offense, but let's just be careful about the kind of world we're creating. If we start mm-hmm. going after people because of their beliefs, we can disagree with them stridently. We can even think that they're that they're, they're Jew haters. But if so, attack their ideas, push back against them in public, refute them. No, i do yeah, yeah no, Don't go around them and try to like sneakily get them you know, detached from a publisher who hasn't published any of this stuff that they're talking about, has a relationship with them that is, you know, I just don't think that that is a wise thing, place, you know, direction to go in. And yet, despite that, I'm still doxed. I'm yeah. still part of the evil Jewish cabal, mm. right? There's no, no one's, you know, no one's, no one's bothering to notice Those kinds of conversations that are taking place, Mm. they're going through and selectively finding the most egregious examples of cancel culture that serve to paint a portrait of nefarious uh, Jewish influence in Australian public life. I
0: mean, if we zoom out, this is a a greater societal issue at the moment that we have removed sort of moderate conversation and discussion and we're just going for the attention grabbing sensational parts of conversations rather than and then you get lost right you end up forgetting why you were all there and what you were wanting to do as a positive thing and you just end up with these extremes and i think that you need to be able to like have constructive positive conversations not just reactive ones and i think it's yeah
2: and yet it's the angry conversations that are so galvanizing you know it's very difficult well, they get the to, attention don't it's they? very difficult to tell um not because i think we shouldn't tell people to not to behave this way, but, but you know, when you're looking at the tactical advantage that groups of all kinds, mm. I'm not talking about any one group here, but what they get from creating an out group and marking them as such and targeting them. I mean, like, that's how that's how, <laughs> you know, movements are formed and wars are won and, you know, p- part, political parties are elected. It's unfortunately a massively successful tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Again, uh, Josh, maybe you found yourself rather <laughs> uncomfortably in a position going, yeah, maybe we do need to regulate this thing when that's not usually I a position you would take. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I honestly don't know. I'm leery about it. I doubt that, that, that legislating it will do any good. But mm. I, actually it's rare that I say the words someone said something very interesting and constructive on Twitter to hmm? me, but someone did in the wake of of this, which was to make a distinction between bringing to the attention of people the public comments of a person yeah and secretly trying to find out things that were said in private it's basically a private public sphere distinction Mm. so like what the i think this person was basically making the point that the pro-israeli people who were trying to get anti-zionist activists cancelled are less guilty because they're taking publicly available things that these people are broadcasting on social media hmm. and they're bringing those things to the attention of the board or the manager of either their employer or their publisher or whatever. But it, but they're not actually trying to dig into anything in the person's private life. They're using all, only publicly available comments that the person has disseminated and broadcast to the world. And that that's a different style of... That's a that's a less egregious crime than erasing the possibility of people having private support groups for each other by invading that supposedly private space and expo- exposing it.
2: I guess the other difference there, apart from the fact that one one you know one thing started out in the open and one thing started in the private, is the nature of the action that's being taken. So in the case of um, you know the pro Israel you know, tar- targeting the anti-Zionist, um, you know, with the publisher or whatever going, oh, let's cancel their book deal. That is maybe not, you know, pu- pu- you know, it's you're taking something that was said in the public and, and, and getting a sort of response to it. But it's it's quite a big, like it's a material sort of impact. Yeah. Um, whereas depending on the nature of the doxing, if you say like here is this person's face and name, um, They said this or did this awful thing, not applying it to the WhatsApp group because I don't think that necessarily applies um, to everyone who was in that group, Um, but that's kind of, you know. I know what you mean. What consequences consequences are you trying to inflict on the the person? The end result is fundamentally different. You're right.
1: I mean, and the other thing is I just hate the mechanism of using a mob to Mm. try to force to try to coerce someone in a position of power to do to ruin someone else's life right like there's just something that i find fundamentally broken about a system in which the fear of a furious online mob that those dynamics are what are motivating people's decisions rather than a cool appraisal of of the facts. so i agree i mean and people have been criticizing me on twitter for saying that i'm going too soft on the Um, you know, on the Israeli, on the pro-Israeli WhatsApp groups who were trying to pressure. And I I, I think that that is all wrong as well. I mean, if I don't say it often enough, then I should. Um, There's no excuse for, I think, trying to ruin people's lives because you have a difference of opinion with them, even if you think their difference of opinion, you know, bumps up against hate speech. Mm. Um, We're going back to the moon in other news this week. A robotic lunar lander launched into space early Thursday morning. If all goes well, in nine days' time, it'll become the first American spacecraft to set down on the moon's surface since Apollo 17 in 1972. Shane, is this cool or a waste time? I did of
0: time? Google that because I thought it must have been a typo. No. The, no one has been to the moon. No. Since 1972. It's, we
1: did it and then we were like, why'd we do that? We don't need to do we this. We didn't even have. We just did it for fun. Like,
0: like, imagine what technology was like in 1972 and we yeah. made it all the way to the moon. Mm. Yeah.
2: Like what could we do now? Someone once told me that the computer that was used to get the, you know, get us to the moon in the first place was basically like the same level of compute as an ATM. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Or,
1: a pers- or a calculator I've also yeah. heard basically. Yeah, it's yeah. like. Yeah. It's like a. Yeah. <laughs> they went so like cool. a tin can. But yes, yeah. your iPhone is vastly more powerful, vastly, My vastly more
0: My iPhone could get me to the moon.
1: Yeah, yeah. if you tweaked it. Yeah. Yes. If a gel broke <laughs> it. <laughs> if a jailbreak it. I don't know if the app, app is available there's on the a, App Store. There's a though. special oh, app for that. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot to use Wicker or um, something. But I mean, this is part of this whole, you know, resurgence of space travel. The number of satellites that have been launched, you might know this better than I do, Ange, in the past year or two is like more than the total, like 10 times the number of satellites that have ever been launched in the history of the world. It's almost all exclusively yeah. Elon Musk's Except doing. when we
2: think of satellites, we think of satellites, but actually they're like satellites. Mm-hmm. They're like the they're size iPhones. of Some of them – no, <laughs> seriously, some of them are the size of a loaf of bread.
1: Right. Like they
2: go up – they're going up like there's a few a week going up from various points in the world. But they're not
1: blasting a loaf of bread off, are they? They're blasting Maybe off a they're big, blasting a something big bigger rocket. up,
2: but like the thing that goes into orbit is yeah, like – Yeah, is a loaf yeah, of bread. Yeah, yeah. There's no like – there's no human on it Um, no. or, you know, obviously. They
0: spawn – something bigger spawns loaves of bread that are just – Free floating Sometimes, yeah, in the, the atmosphere, their, they're like launched or the whatever it's the yes. uh, But yeah,
2: there are there are a whole it's lot space.
0: of. I believe it's called space. Is it inner space? Is it outer space? Uh, it's a good question. It's Do not you know outer, outer space. begins? It's 50 still in miles? Our
2: orbit. It's no. called the – it's not the, the Maginot line, that's something else, but there's a, there's no. a name for yeah. it. There's like a magic And there's point. a – I'm just reading Elon space.
1: Musk's biography, uh, which is fascinating, and there's this kind of, you know, my dick is bigger than yours competition <laughs> about how far they go up. So when, they're, when yes. they're starting to do these manned orbital things, basically Branson and Musk and Bezos – uh, you know, like w- apparently, Branson didn't really go into yeah, proper just, orbit because he, just, he was less than however many hundreds of he did, miles.
2: He, he stopped short of the line. It was lazy. Yeah,
1: that's right. And then, so then, Bezos goes like well beyond the line to prove his prowess. Yeah. What do you make of all this, Ange? What's happening?
2: Oof. I okay. Controversial. I find it a little bit hard to get excited about. Not because, like, don't get me wrong. I want to go up and see the Blue Pearl. I love, you know, like wow, space. Yes, but.
1: Is the there's blue pearl not- like a nerd name for the Earth? And when you space, go
2: out and you the, pale know, because blue the, the astronauts, and um, cosmonauts and things, they will come back um
1: profoundly shaken.
2: Not themselves. transformed. Well, I think it would kind of do something to you. It would like addle you a little bit, looking down and being like, ah, oh, there's everything. And mm. there's oblivion, like, yeah. you know, as far as we know. Um, and so Yeah, but but, but because that- of the oblivion thing, I'm a bit like. I, I'm just, I'm just a great deal more preoccupied with, I don't know, the fact that we might be like cooking up consciousness in Silicon Valley at the moment, you know, things like that. Like I kind of get a little, I mean, NASA's wanting to go back to the moon as well. They're setting up their own mission, Artemis mission. So it's like, yeah, it seems to be back on why now? Um, I think... I don't know, because, like, the only real sort of utility to all this, right, is, oh, but what if we want to move there one day? Let's go see if there's water on the South or Pole. Or if you move kind
1: of to thing. Mars, you need the, a moon base, don't you, to yeah, get so you that's there like the and staging do post a to,
2: Yeah, and, they, and they're trying to find out if there's water on the bottom of the moon at the moment because that would mean that we're going to take less water up and back and whatever. I don't know. But, yeah, I, got, I do struggle to get – is that basic of me, that I struggle to get excited about – like the trip Probably, to the moon. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Do you? Does it excite you? I get you? excited.
1: I just you know, am instinctively excited. I was when I was at uni. I was a member of the Mars Society, which is oh, like really, a lobby group. It's an acronym to, I'm for men against
0: <laughs> real science. Science. <laughs>
1: That's
0: right. It's a flat Earth men society. Men against real sex. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and it, I just, I've always loved. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely find the the Muskian, Bezosian argument that in the long scheme of things we're going to end up, we're either going to die out or we'll become a multiplanetary we'll get, yeah. mm. species. So why don't we start doing the things that we will want to have done if we want to end up doing that so that if we do want to do them, we won't not have done them.
2: That bit is interesting to me. The kind of like you know because I, I think I have a similar reaction to the one you did about the whole like oh like who went higher and they're you know oh they're gonna start charging and like you know it seems it just seems quite you know it's about these men and their egos and the way that they go about it is sort of annoying um, but and but I also think it scares me a little bit I'm like oh oblivion
1: yeah you
2: know so well, I don't I don't love thinking about it because I'm like well you, you know you that
1: anecdote about- sorry Jane but no there- I was gonna say
0: how do you feel about death
2: yeah. <laughs> Yeah,
0: because to me that's like a, a a definite oblivion that's coming. Totally sooner than life. I guess I've
2: spent more time, and because I've like had time to get used to that, I'm like, I know that one's coming. Yeah, let me think about it. And you're I'm like, also, hang on, wait, I've had, the moon. I've had leukemia, uh, so I've had like a few lo- close calls, and so I'm kind of across that one. I'm fine now, by the way. I, I always forget to say that. <laughs> um, so yeah, but th- that that oblivion, yeah, I'm not wrapped on it. Yeah. Is it like okay. the
0: idea that like going to the moon brings your mind to the idea of oblivion beyond our physical plane? Well, yeah, because when, Earth, cause when we
2: say oblivion, what we mean in the context of space is not so much oblivion, but infinity. Infinity, Infinity yeah. of nothing. Nothing is potentially we don't know. Yeah. And then, uh, but then, you know, death is just death. Right. It's just, that is just actual nothing. Yeah, whereas yeah. that's.
1: That is a living nothingness. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you yeah. ever
2: get
1: that
0: thing where you try and think about infinity, and then like
1: you yeah, just like breaks. ah? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. I mean, there are a couple of interesting anecdotes about that. There's one is the uh, one of the uh, Apollo astronauts. I think one of the ones who was in the um, uh, the lunar module that was orbiting the moon was like gazing out at Earth and put his finger, put his thumb up like in front of Earth and blotted it out and just had this kind very
2: of very super villain of him. Epiphany
1: yeah. of like <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't think he was
1: doing it joyfully. <laughs> it, I don't think he had a was white Was it menacing? Cat. Was he didn't it like, a white cat on his
2: uh, peekaboo, uh, like... No, it was like, like,
1: you know, all of the it's like the Carl Sagan uh pale blue dot uh m- sort of um reverie where he writes that all of the wars and all of the uh, things that we've ever cared about, all of the poets, all of the discoveries, all of the volcanic explosions and, you know, all the huge dramas of human and animal history have unfolded on this little thing that you can blot out with your thumb when you're uh, moving away from it. Totally. Um, and then, Shane, on your thing, can you, have you ever just sort of broken your brain by trying to think about infinity? Have you ever been lying on your back in the not- and looking at the night sky possibly under the influence of psychedelics and realise that you're just stuck to a rock and that the infinity – you could you might as well think of yourself as being at the bottom of the rock with infinity below you Mm. and you're just – because you're so small and gravity is strong, you're just stuck to a rock and you're dangling over the abyss. I mean, we are.
2: My favourite brain breaker recently has been not just, oh, infinity out, like which is sure, you know, Mm, but, uh, but i've had that one for a while whereas like infinity in like there's mm. no you can't you know you split the thing in half and then you can always split it in half again and then it basically we, it goes infinitely in as well i also Wait, what? I had this side you lost me there oh it goes infinitely in. so if you think about what's the smallest unit of anything that you have it like subatomic you, then, yeah right. subatomic you can split it it again and right. then you could always like just you know right um, i see zoom you in and then will be in able and zoom to zoom in. in forever there yeah. is it, things go infinitely in as well as infinitely up. i see
1: size wise
2: so well yeah yeah if you yeah if you want to put it like that yeah
0: shane cockroaches i've often of thought course. nice segue
2: they probably like
0: they know that we exist due to our impact but they probably can't perceive that we exist mm. And I always thought like Maybe like Oh no no, I'm, I'm a godless atheist Who doesn't believe in anything So don't think that I'm trying to get woo woo But like Like I don't know You think about an atom And how it sort of is like a planet And then like th- There's like There's all these like levels of Things yeah. that we just don't know Yeah So
1: mm. there could be planes I mean the whole This is a thought experiment That philosophers have long said Like all of The universe could be A, a cell of a bacterium In a giant's toe Mm -hmm. Have you thought much about the um, simulation
0: idea? (laughs) Endlessly. Endlessly. Which I have this idea, and I don't know whether this is a part of the common narrative. I think the idea that we are living in a simulation, if you don't know what I'm talking about, the idea that perhaps we humans and planet Earth could be, I guess, like a computer game of sorts that... Somewhere, someone else is playing just as we Being play. Being created
2: from the future possibly by our descendants. Yeah. Where an ancestor simulation is a, is a common kind yeah. of one. like if you yeah.
0: think about like Sims, like it's like we're an advanced version of a Sims world, that actually this simulation theory is an allegory for religion, religious folks. And if you can't disprove that we're in a simulation, but you can dismiss that it's absurd, then you have to agree that religion and the concept of God is also absurd and dismissible.
2: I was thinking about this recently because I participated in a comedy debate about are we living in a simulation? I was the affirmative. I lost. We lost. Um, But it meant that I kind of I went through exhaustively all the arguments, um, you know, the strongest ones anyway, for, you know, we live in a simulation, things like, you know, the anthropic principle. It seems like everything, every, you know, part of the universe is by design. The universe itself is pixelated. What I mean by that is that it's all in measurable units and it only goes down so small. I mean, we've just said it goes infinitely inwards, but there's only so far that we can see. Therefore, pixelated. Um, but the by design thing, and, oh, we've never met aliens, even though statistically that seems quite unlikely, um, you know, given all the carbon in the universe and that we exist. So all the arguments, as you say, that support simulation, really also really what, they're, what we're saying when we say that, oh, you know, these are all the reasons. We say we're we're making arguments for intelligent design so they could just as easily be grafted onto monotheism.
1: Mm. Yeah, although there are things that are particular to the simulation argument that don't apply to religion. Like, this, this, oh, I heard one person talking about suburbia is, like, as the simulation got bigger and bigger and you got more and more avatars or humans in the simulation, you would want to use less and less processing power. So, you wouldn't want too much variance. So, instead of having gothic cathedrals all over the place, you'd start to create very similar looking homes, so that you get urban sprawl. <laughs> so, all the houses would basically be the same template from your computer program. Yeah. You I wouldn't lo- have I mean, lots l- of variation.
2: I love that one. I do think that that is a very elaborate explanation for human laziness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: like, I agree. You <laughs> capitalism. Capitalism. can make it cheaper. It yeah. is, it's also worth saying that at every point in human history, humans like to understand the universe by using the metaphors of the most cutting edge technology that is around mm. so in the 1800s like the universe was full of pistons and steam pumps and like you know the human body was like all valves and things and we were basically like locomotives and mm. stuff now we're all like computers mm. you know so next next century we'll all be like something else mm. uh it's the anthropomorphizing of, of
0: AI as well which is interesting like that you talk to ChatGPT as if it's a human Mm. I like yeah. to treat it nicely. I always say please and thank you <laughs> because, A, I- I just don't want to get out of the habit of being a kind person simply yeah. because I'm talking to a, a, a computer. But also, just in case, I want our robot overlords to look fondly on me in the apocalypse
1: and it go, you know what? Tabs. He used
0: to say please and thank you. Let's <laughs> 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 uh,
1: Speaking of, uh, you know, taking psychedelics and then pondering <laughs> the vastness of the universe, uh, there is an increasing problem in Australia with these psychedelic wellness retreats uh, which are cropping up an australian man who died after using an amazonian frog poison in a purging ritual was groaning and in extreme pain when he collapsed at a wellness retreat in northern new south wales an inquest has heard the bloke's name was jared Antonovich. he was 46 he'd taken combo frog toxin and uh, ayahuasca during a week-long dreaming arts festival. There's an inquest into his death. It has heard that he died from a perforated esophagus, probably caused by the excessive vomiting or attempts to vomit, which can follow Cambo and Ayahuasca ceremonies. These Cambo ceremonies at wellness retreats are on the rise and so are the deaths. Uh, you into an Ange?
2: I did a story about Cambo years ago. Um, what is there it? There was a group... So. There are these specific frogs in the Amazon and the way that they harvest it, they like peck it's, it looks quite cruel actually. They peg them out with like four little, you know, corn corners almost. So it's like stretched out, looks like a torture device. And then they sort of scrape the poison off the back. And then you you have it like you I I can't remember if you smoke you it or you drink your, it. Yeah, you, that's right. That's you right. You burn, burn the skin your skin and then put the poison into the burnt
1: it, flesh. Yes. Yes. Yep. So people have nice. little what scars go there,
2: <laughs> um, and you know because there's a lot of repeat customers. And th- this are there the a lot thing. of repeat customers? Well, so in the community that I ended up um, you know hang- hanging out and interviewing people, they were total devotees they all like showed up wearing like fro- frog like they had frog print things and they would like talk about frogs and frog synchronicity and i saw a frog the other day so i knew that it was time they think they're being called by the camp i know a guy who went off and became a, a cambo shaman um wow. he used to be a-, a comedian and uh and he went off and became like a cambo shaman, um, and. Yeah, like so. So yeah, people people get really hooked on it. Not in the sense that they get hooked on chemically know, addicted. Yeah, chemically mm. addicted. It's not a dependency. But they like the process. But they report feeling so you don't get high off it. That's the other thing. Um, you don't have like a, a euphoric. Um, you know, in the same way that you might with other psychedelics. What you do have, though, what people report is this sense of clearness afterwards, like some sort of like. You can, I don't know. It's like clear thinking or rev- revelation, right? Um, but the the process itself, you like, there's a lot of vomiting and there's a lot of like uh, diarrhea. Um, it's me- it's messy and it can <laughs> I mean, be it's dangerous. A small price to
0: pay for enlightenment. <laughs> for <laughs>
2: enlightenment, I suppose. I just felt like I needed to give the other side there because I was like, <laughs> yeah, people get like clear and they feel amazing right. the first time, but but like yeah, it, and then you know, obviously things have gone pretty badly wrong for for this man um,
1: and he's not alone i mean the reason why there's an inquest is cuz there this has multiple happened a few times issues have get yeah, multiple i think few is like obviously it's horrible when anybody dies but i guess like relative to Anything else? The numbers are very small, but I think I mean I'm normally uh, taking that position when we're talking about ecstasy deaths or something Mm. like that. But I'm not sure that's true with cambo. Not a huge number of people are taking it. I mean, you might be having hundreds of people taking it, and you know, a a few people dying. That's quite a high Mm. fraction. It feels like.
0: Uh, like not that I, not that I, I don't know. There's something, something romantic about these sorts of things not being regulated, and it feels like the the whole idea of this being an ancient medicine from the Amazon being done by you know white people in Byron Bay. Um, it, I feel that that this is a case, I guess, for some. Is this a case for regulation? Is this a case for like if this uh, wellness resort? had somebody who was trained in uh, first aid if they had called for help sooner mm. would that have prevented this death
2: well Surely. I mean there are degrees of accreditation like so you can go and be trained as a as a practitioner and they are quite organized in some senses like is it administered by the government no but it's um you know th- there are like there is a Formalizing, you know, some degree mm. of formalized training that's available. And so I think it's probably like taking anything that has risk attached or using any substance or, you know, that has risk attached in that you do have to do your due diligence. Mm. Like you just.
1: I mean, there's also the question of like, what are you expecting the thing to give you? Like, part of the problem I think with like wellness retreats is they're selling something that m- they may not be able to deliver. Like, I mean, if mm. you want to have. A psychedelic experience that could be terrifying or could be really fulfilling and you're up for that, then by all means, that's mm. a good reason to go and do ayahuasca. But if you believe that it's going to align, you know, your the, your physical body and purify your systems and, you know, detoxify you and make you protect you against cancer and give you, you know, all of these kind of life affirming things by making the cells vibrate at a different you know f- frequency than they currently are <laughs>
2: have you been writing their copy <laughs> then
1: you're you know then this is a problem there was also something in the text that um i, I uh,
0: the i have done lots of psychedelics and i am someone who like loves meditation and and but there's nothing about my belief system that is what would be described as woo woo mm-hmm. i feel like i'm like a realist and quite pragmatic and um And I'm yet to see Mother Ayahuasca or any of those (laughs) sorts of things. I was willing. I was an atheist. I am an atheist. And I remember everybody talking about like, you know, Mother Ayahuasca will come to you and she will. And I was like, do you know what? The same way that I went atheist, which was I thought I'll try this for a week. And if God exists, she'll appreciate me doing due diligence. Mm. So, okay, here's the moment I'm going to not believe in God. And then waited for the hole to open up and suck me
1: in and it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, oh. What do you mean it didn't happen? You took ayahuasca? No, no, but- sorry. This oh. was the atheist. Oh, I see. Right but right
0: then right. with ayahuasca, I thought, okay, I don't believe in God, but I'm going to uh, give myself over to this process of ayahuasca. Because I feel that, like, maybe I need to be receptive and open to the idea that there could be something... Else, and that there is a mother ayahuasca, and so I do feel that I, when I did ayahuasca, I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm gonna believe in this thing so that I can get the full benefit of this thing.
2: Limited time only. Yeah, for the next next twelve hours,
0: I will believe that mother. She didn't come to me, uh, and I,
1: I. What do you mean she didn't come to you? Well, I did the ayahuasca, but there's this idea that when you do ayahuasca, there's a. a you a may have been coming presence. in with too many preconceptions. This is what I mean about the spiritual wellness bullshit. Like you were probably coming in, you're probably bringing a whole lot of baggage to it instead <laughs> of allowing it to be what it. Well, no, that's w- what I did. I was letting go of my sort of limited view and saying, well, I'm going to let anything that
0: comes happen, which I mean, you don't have a choice in either, but I, right, but I if you, yeah, sorry. I, I did ayahuasca and then, um, did St. Pedro, which I think is also peyote. Um, it was like a, you know, you do ayahuasca, the mother, and then 12 hours later you do the father. Um, where is this? This was in a warehouse downtown Los Angeles. Right. Um, <laughs> and it was in a ceremonial yeah, sort yeah. of thing, but, um, I, d- it wasn't in, uh, Peru. Yeah. Unfortunately, sure. but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't done com- com- camp- what cambo. cambo. cambo.
1: Um, but so what were the, were there any lasting effects from that experience? Actually, yes. I will say <clears throat> the that. By the after- way, what's the time? I want to keep talking, but I want to make sure that. 2.12. I- yeah, good, great. Um, I will say that after doing ayahuasca
0: and San Pedro, it was less of like, you know, when you when you read a book and you're like, oh, yes, I get it now. And then a week later, you're like, oh, I'm just back to normal life. Mm. The thing that shifted in me, uh, and I can't pinpoint why exactly, but I was more, I don't want to say prone to crying because that sounds like a negative. I was more uh, connected to my emotions after having done these two psychedelics. And even things like movies where... A person would normally cry and I traditionally wouldn't. It's not that I didn't feel emotion, but I just wasn't. I was a little bit walled off to some of my emotions. And after doing this, I found it in a really positive way, really opened me up to um, feeling emotion more and being maybe more connected to a Mm. sense of empathy. And Mm. so for me, that was a real positive there. But again, I'm not. I wasn't. And that endured. Yeah, and it's yeah. endured. Yeah, I feel
1: the same thing. I did it in a warehouse in Brooklyn, as uh-huh. one does, also with a shaman and his acolytes. And um, I'm still on
0: the mailing list, uh, actually. It's quite fun it's when right. I get them. They do them all around the world. I'm like, ah. Oh.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I remember going into, I won't go into huge detail about the experience itself, but it was very transformative. And the next day I went into a, a, a shop, into a clothing store, and the the checkout girl was like, what's up with you? And I was like, what? And she was like, what's going on? And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, I don't know. You just seem different from everyone else who's walked in here today. Like literally. And I was like, oh, that's nice. She was like, you've got a kind of energy about you, like radiant or something. I was like, I didn't say it's because I've just taken a psychedelic (laughs) 12 hours ago. Uh, But it's a good- good You were also naked, which-
2: Yeah, I forgot right. to mention. Yeah. I was covered in my own feces. What's faeces. up with you? You're yeah. yeah. <laughs> glowing right. in shit.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lastly, there's, a, there's an article that's getting a lot of play in the Sydney Morning Herald, which is an opinion piece by a millennial who says that she actually prefers to call her friends on the telephone uh, out of the blue. And uh, she this is sort of in defence of the casual phone call of just oh, picking yeah. up the phone and calling people for no reason, just to say hi. <laughs> it makes my blood run cold. She says... When it comes to annoying communication methods, for me, it's writing 100 text messages when a simple call would have sufficed. For me, it's it's just the reverse. I will take any number of text messages over someone... I'm mad. I'm
2: mad for a, a random call when I'm in the mood. Like I love to yeah. like on a long drive, yeah, you know, getting get like, you know, I go and see my parents that live in Bathurst, you know, I'm going over the I'm like, oh, I'm gonna call. I'm gonna <laughs> call my housemate from when I was nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll have a chat and that'll be great, you know. But if someone does it to me when I'm like in the middle of work, I'm like, Why so are so they calling enough. me? Why wouldn't you text? Why wouldn't you arrange a time? So when it's on my clock, I feel really good about it. and you know, when I'm feeling whimsical and I'm like, let's have a chat.
1: Yeah. you know, so When you're it, on it, ayahuasca, you're yeah, calling when, people when like I'm crazy. High, yeah.
2: yeah. Um, Is there a taboo around this I have you, a rule, no
0: phones on shrooms, and I'd extend that to <laughs> right, ayahuasca. Right. <laughs> right. But are you a phone? Would I, you ever just call someone out of the blue to say Hi. Yeah, but not like in a psychopathic way. Like, Wait, what's the
2: psychopathic way? You know, just
0: people who call people out of the blue. Like, like I think m-
2: like me. there's like
0: work. No, I agree with your way. That's my favorite way. And there's only certain people that I would do it to. And there's only certain people I would answer. But there's yeah. like, I've got a friend in Barcelona, another friend in LA, another friend in Portugal. Oh, I think maybe overseas gives me a license. Well, I
1: just can't yeah, there's, there's a time a, difference. A there. It's, it's my, sort of like I haven't yeah, seen them in years. Exactly. You wish you could see them. You there's no opportunity to bump into them. Yes. I love the serendipity of the f-
0: like a FaceTime coming through and you're like, I can actually answer this. And mm. like, it's like a surprise in my day. It wasn't prearranged by text. It's like, um, like spontaneous sex mm. where all of a sudden you're like, I had no idea this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's happening. Like, like my wonderful. expectations were so low yeah. for the next 10 minutes. But if my FaceTime rings and it's like, f- there's my friend in LA and then we end up just like talking for an hour. And it's always like a really enriching and fulfilling mm. conversation. But like, if someone's just like, Calling to talk about like work. I mean, even well, no. well yeah. Because like, when
2: you schedule the chat, you have a much more perfunctory chat. You're like, yeah. and how is work? Whereas you, where you, you call, you know, out of, you know, on your random driving, you're like, we haven't spoken to you, and be like, would you go to the moon? Like, that yeah. is, that's the conversation that you have. Yeah. I suppose
1: so. Maybe. I don't find that. I don't think. I think if I, I think I'm partly, the whole phone thing is partly tarnished because the kinds of, people and occupations who continue to persist in using f- the telephone rather than texting are so, <laughs> <The> un- <telephone, laughs> so unpleasant to me it's basically oh, okay, you know yeah. it's tradies car dealers oh, real estate right. agents who you know you text them and then they call or well, they call and you don't answer Yeah, you know, like just we're just organizing a time for you to like install the fridge mate just shoot me a fucking text you know i don't want to talk to you <laughs> yeah uh like it's so much more complicated to talk because then we have to take notes about what what time we're arranging. I have an Mm. 83-year-old friend and she likes to call, Mm. which like she'll text a
0: lot and then like we're organising dinner on Tuesday night and she just calls and then we have a quick chat and I'm like, oh, you know what, we did result because there's like someone else who's coming and someone else and where should we do it and blah, blah, blah. And I get like for her um, it's probably like a functional thing as well that's easier to talk on the phone. Mm. Um, But also... Voice notes, which is a it's a yes. cultural
1: thing, right? Because in Australia we don't really do it. And she's but seething l- at the she, idea she, of voice she just, notes. She just turned into a like a, like a frog being pinned down for a combo ceremony. <laughs> don't okay. take
2: my don't try my poison. Oh, Shane, kill
1: you. Sell me on the
0: voice note. It's a cultural thing, right? Like we were talking about in France with the it enforced one-hour work. When you move to the – I lived in London for two years and everybody
2: just voice notes each other. And at first you're like, oh, God, what are you – and then you're kind of like, oh, no, no, this is kind of cute. Yeah. I actually have come around on it. I know my face did that thing, but, like, I uh, was very allergic to it. Mm -hmm. Because you get a lot of it particularly from – like, I think it is a bigger thing in the UK and a bigger thing in the States, but Gen Z – um, and younger millennials are big on it as well, and I was kind of like, this is bullshit. I don't like it. I, I respect my time. Mm. And then, but then I, sp- and then I got to send them, and I'm like, uh-huh. this is this is kind of nice and then you know if you again you you know you miss the person and there are certain things can be carried in the voice you know gone are the days if you're relying on voice notes um gone are the days of like missed meanings in text because you weren't sure if they were kidding or not you know there is this ease that comes with it but then people abuse it and you get like a five minute voice note no
0: one's done that to me With the idea of like random phone calls from people that you want phone calls from, I love like podcast length voice notes. My friend Alex is in Lisbon (laughs) and we're on different time zones and we're constantly and he's like, you still need to send me a podcast about the gay cruise you just went on. And I'm like, oh. Honey, let me tell you, and then like (laughs) 12 minutes later. And then I know that he's not gonna listen to it immediately, but when he's got a free moment and then he'll respond to my podcast and back and forth. I mean, that's Mm. what's
1: respectful about it is the time shifting Mm. capability. It's the best of all worlds, because what's bad about texting is you don't get to really hear the person's voice and you don't get to have all of the kind of back and forthy banter and snideness and quips or whatever, because they don't translate to text. But what's bad about phone calls is it is intrusive on the other person's time. There's an implied expectation. That you can interrupt whatever it is that they're doing and they have to talk to you right now whereas the voice note you can just leave it you can listen to it in eight minutes time when you've got a little moment and then and voice notes
0: now on on imessage it does a speech to text log so if you want to go back and Search your conversation. I'm like, oh, because with, with Alex, we talk on Signal. I don't know why not. We're not doing drugs. But it was when that thing <laughs> of like WhatsApp is selling our information. We were like, we're all moving to Signal. Right. And we have got like, only two who remain. So he's, I just have them. one app for one friend. Yeah. Right. Um, That's but you can't search. What we've talked about, I'm like, oh, remember he said that thing about that, oh, it was in a voice note. I don't know which voice note it is. But now you but on can. On message, you can.
1: Wow. Yeah,
0: because it gives you a little trick. That's a fascinating.
2: I feel like there's a taboo around phone calls now. You don't, There is a, it, yeah. a justified taboo, yeah.
0: a welcome Especially for taboo. work. Like, can I call you? Yes. And then they call. It's
1: yeah. Like, like, why? Why? What's the utility of the phone call? What does the phone call do? That the text message or voice note I like not or email does that I'm not,
2: not I, I like knowing that I'm not going to have to wait to find out the information that I want.
0: Right. I feel, I feel like you can check off like quite a bit in a in a phone call that on text. You can be like, oh, and what about this and this and the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're
2: if there are, in the phone call, right, yeah. there is
1: a certain type of usually work conversation that I would need to have, which have has quite a lot of like what do coders call the like if then. Kind mm-hmm. of construction so yeah. like there's yeah. a there's, there's gonna be a lot of going back and forth kind of conditional stuff like okay so if we do this then what and then the person says well then we do this and then you have to kind of yes i understand that kind of scenario they're few and far between uh yeah. in my universe I, if, if there's like the most irritating thing in the world for example is when you can subscribe to a publication online but in order to cancel it you have to call and talk to a human being. That like should be a crime. A that should be a crime. I literally We're have talking said, about
2: like the right to disconnect, yes. like put those people in prison, please. One
1: day when I'm old and famous, I'm gonna run for Prime Minister on like just <laughs> three things. And one of the things is what are they? whatever mechanism you use to sign someone up has to be the same mechanism by which they can cancel. Yeah. Consumer advocacy. The, that's A- it. the that's ACLU. Is that the,
2: that's, you could probably get elected on that's that. That's one of the yeah. three. Yeah, keep it simple. I don't think you need the other two platforms. Really? That's <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I don't have the other two oh, yet. That's why I'm spending the rest of my life figuring out. Um,
2: yeah. I
0: subscribed to the ACLU in the United States, the American Civil Liberties Union, and to Planned Parenthood around the – I think it was around 2016. Um, <laughs> and I only just – managed to stop and I didn't mind it's just like I'm like I've moved countries I want to put my my tithing mm. elsewhere could not for the life of me I went online I emailed them I called them on the telephone to cancel my like and monthly mm. donation and Do- still couldn't I'm like you're the
2: American civil liberties I mean, union at this that is point, civil liberty I know at that point you're like You're shutting down that bank account. Well, that's what happened. I got, got,
0: what's the word for, skimmed. I got skimmed and so it got shut down for me. And I was like, oh, well, thank God. No,
2: actually, that's not true. I had
0: two American Expresses in America. One was personal, one was business. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like cancel this card so that they can yeah. stop. I mean
1: the problem is that often they're allowed that's to wild, continue though. debiting a cancelled card if you've set up a direct debit and you're really? actually liable for that. that yeah, didn't just happen. because
0: but I you know what I do? I would always keep like my credit card $50 on the in the black. Yeah. Um and just because they would take that money out and I wouldn't look at it very often cuz it was in the US. But then one day, if you leave money on your credit card for a period of time, the bank's just like, "Nah, that's ours now." What? I know yeah, and I was right. like, Wait, no. That was. Oh, well, someone someone really- gave me
1: a tip once, which was this was actually a caller to my talkback radio show. They said they they buy a gift card. Like a which you can use as a visa card, but it only has a certain amount of money on mm. it. And for all recurring subscriptions, mm. they put it on that card, and they can you can top it up, right? So you send money to the card, and then once that card is dead, there's no ongoing liability, as there can be with a credit card that's in your name, where the direct debits can still accrue to you even after the card's been closed. There, there's just no money. It's but just if a you were prime minister, to you.
0: we wouldn't need these elaborate workarounds. We wouldn't
1: Zeps twenty forty two. <sighs> It's nice that you Vote think will still one. be a planet then. But I yeah. like it. Uh, thank you both for being part of the conversation. Lovely to have you on the panel. Great to thank be here. And Wapier and Shane Jenning. See you next week.